recording hi-fi cable output okay wrong one <laughs> okay i was just testing the system because we had another one of those fantastic updates by microsoft windows and uh i got completely new settings going that i've never seen before so it's uh i've been getting this set up let me find the correct file to play because i love that little jingle so much that I want to hear it again. Okay, so uh, bumper music. Here's bumper music, and here's Alphabet Soup. Here we go, everybody. Folks, thank you very much. Uh, welcome to Your Folk Radio. As uh, I briefly said before I turned on the jingle, that uh, Windows didn't update. I tried to prevent the win- Windows update by uh, doing a non-restart, <laughs> just idling all night, but then it updated anyway. Without my permission, can you imagine that? Windows does stuff without your permission. Well, that's the way things are, folks. And anyway, so I just put the link to today's article in the chat room. It's the Willie Martin article on pre-Adamic life on Earth. Unable to contact Michael this morning, so I left him a message to just join us when he can. And we're also simulcasting on Telegram for you all. So good morning, everybody, and uh, let's get to it. This is Pre-Adamic Life on Earth by Willie Martin. And Michael and I had started this article a couple of weeks ago. And we're at the bottom of page four. But let me back up uh, to the top of page four. And uh, where he's talking about... Uh, Let me back up to the bottom of page three, where Willie says, God's wisdom precedes the beginning of all creation, whether this creation is just 6,000 years back or long before that, in the eternity past, is to be determined from the scriptures themselves. God's wisdom witnessed a perfect creation. Okay, so the point Willie is making and which many other, even Judeo-Christian pastors have begun to make. Uh, You can uh, type in pre-Adamic world or pre-Adamites into your browser or even on YouTube, and you will find that more and more people, more and more theologians are accepting the possibility, if not the fact, that Genesis 1-1 is about the pre-Adamic world, 
okay, before a great catastrophe, and that catastrophe took place between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, the so-called gap theory. And so more and more theologians are accepting this possibility, and of course, as we talked about last night, the fact that Yaum in Genesis chapter 1 means an eon, or an era, not a 24-hour day. So, in other words, the the new earth creationism is finally being tossed out the window by mainstream theologians, and old earth creationism is gradually taking it, its place. That's a very, very good thing. Okay, very good. So, let me continue what he says here. Let me just start with the first sentence again. God's wisdom, that's in quotes, precedes the beginning of all creation. Whether this creation is just 6,000 years back or long before that in the eternity past is to be determined from the scriptures themselves. So he's going to start discussing some of these scriptures. Yahweh's wisdom witnessed a perfect creation. So the earth and uh, the universe was not created void and without form, tohu abohu, as it says in Genesis chapter 1. It was created perfect. Something happened. A great catastrophe happened. And as I've been teaching in my Enmity series, Genesis chapter 1 deals with the recreation of a planet that was virtually wiped out by the comet or asteroid Phaeton, as described by Plato in his writings. And more and more people, as I said, are accepting this as a real possibility, if not an established fact. So let's continue. Obviously, wisdom rejoiced in the Earth's habitable part. Okay? The Earth was not made uh, void and without form. It was made, uh, the word he's using here is perfect, a perfect creation I'm not sure if we can go that far and say it was perfect, but it certainly, as uh, we understand, it was good and very good. And Yahweh's recreation is described in, in exactly the same way. However, let's go through the Proverbs and see what Willie Martin has to say about it. Yes, uh, Lily says, every, every day is good when studying Yahweh's word, yeah. Let's never stop doing that, <laughs> okay? We never want to stop doing that. So, back to Willie Martin. And I just have to compliment Will T- Willie Martin uh, on the ex- uh, uh, outstanding body of work that he has created. This is just one of them. Um, when I first got into identity uh, on the air, way back in 2003, and I was pa- part of chat rooms and I had just become aware of Willie Martin's body of work, and and he was still alive at the time. And I asked people, uh, and Lily was one of the people that was chatting with Willie Martin for many years. And I was I finally got a hold of him, but by the time I was able to connect with him online, he died. And a very similar thing happened with with Arnold Kennedy, although Arnold Kennedy and I exchanged a lot of emails, but when uh, we were getting ready to start working on scripture, 
I was getting ready to invite him on Eurofolk Radio to do shows because he was a, a Greek expert, an expert in Greek, and I really needed help with that at the time. And then he died. <laughs> so, so then God gave me, or Yahweh gave me William Fink instead. William Fink and Clifton Eveheiser, and everybody knows about how that went. Okay, but let's continue. Anyway, here we are in 2023, May 14th, talking about Genesis 1-1 and the events after it. And we're talking about the events before Genesis 1-2. So he continues. Proverbs 8, 27 to 31 describe the preparation, Hebrew word kum, kun, sorry, K-U-W-N, preparation, and then the establishment of perfect heavens, that's verse 27a, a being the first sentence of the verse, or first clause, depending on the verse, and earth, verse 30. Although Proverbs 8.27 says that God prepared the heavens, Proverbs 3.19 shows that he also has established, that is fixed, the heavens and earth. The main idea underlying the Hebrew word kun is to bring something into an incontrovertible existence, and this is quoting Spiros Zodiates, who is obviously a Greek and uh, who has commented on these things. The, uh, he's, uh, I'm not going to try to find the title of the work right now, but let's continue. Uh, page 1600, so this is an extensive work. As such, Proverbs 8, 27 to 31 describe a creation of an original, perfect earth with a firm foundation, as verse 29b. Next, God strengthened the fountains of the sea and next decreed limits and commanded that the sea should not break his decreed limits, verses 27 through 29, uh, which sort of happened at Noah's flood, didn't it? (laughs) At the same time, he established the clouds above so as to cover the habitable part of the earth, verse 31. Therefore, the heavens of verse 27a and the earth of, of verse 29b definitely refer to the perfect heavens and earth of Genesis 1.1. And obviously, Yahweh did not create the universe void and without form. However, something happened to change that. The great catastrophe in my Enmity series, which uh, I'll link to this uh, when I post this show on Your Folk Radio. I'll put a link to that, uh, describing the nature of that catastrophe and the geological and archaeological after-effects, which still exist on the planet Earth today, very obviously still exist, from that impact by the asteroid Phaeton. It was a huge impact, almost destroyed the entire planet, with tidal waves and uh, a uh, volcanic winter following. Um, but uh, in my opinion, some... Uh, and, Anthropoids, <laughs> anthropoids survived, but not many, very, very few. And it includes the sinking of Atlantis, etc. So let's continue. Next, God strengthened the fountains of the sea. At the same time, he has established the clouds above so as to cover the habitable part of the earth. 
verse 31. Therefore, the heavens of verse 27a and the earth of 28b definitely refer to the perfect heavens of earth of Genesis 1.1. Certainly, the heavens of verse 27a and the earth of verse 29b are not the same heavens and earth that were recreated in Genesis 1.8 and 10. Okay, so he's advocating a recreation experience on this planet as I have. Let's continue. Proverbs 27, 20, and more, more, more and more theologians are advocating that now. Proverbs 8, 27, 29 talk about setting, that is chakak, meaning to establish, to ordain a compass upon the face of the deep sea when he also gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, verse 29a. This is precisely Quote, when he appointed Hebrew Chakak, the foundations of the earth, verse 29b. All right, so that the seas should not rise above a certain level anymore, without another catastrophe, of course. At the same time, he established the clouds above. By the way, uh, all of the climate alarmists have predicted that the sea oceans would rise so that uh, Key West would be flooded and uh, various... Uh, seaports would be flooded, and uh, but the, the seas haven't risen. <laughs> they do occasionally, thanks to the tides. The tides have a great effect on sea levels of ocean ports. Okay, sometimes it's 40 feet or more, depending on the part of the earth you live in, uh, that would tremendously affect that. And sometimes there's anomalous sea level rises, but then they come back down again. So nothing like what Al Gore predicted in his climate alarmist book has happened since, I don't know when he wrote it, early 80s, I think it was. Nothing like that has happened. It's been 40 years. Nothing of the kind has happened. And the climate alarmists are uh, teaching this garbage to our children in school and promoting it. On, and, of course, the World Economic Foundation is promoting this garbage too. So, But it's all fear porn, folks. It's fear porn. And... Your Folk Radio is the antidote for fear porn. <laughs> Hello, Sussex man. There's fear porn everywhere you look. Okay. So, of course, and their their antidote, their cure for that is the mRNA shot, which kills us before the, the global catastrophe, <laughs> before the climate change could kill us, right? So, look, obviously, all the fear porn is about killing us, killing us softly, with their fear porn. That sounds like a good line for a song. Killing us softly with their porn. Okay, let's continue. All right. At the same time, he established the clouds above and strengthened the fountains of the deep. Verse 28. All these works refer to, refer to the original creation, Genesis 1.1, when the heavens were established and the foundations of the earth were laid None of those original works could be said to parallel with any of the works of restoration of Genesis 3 to 31 on an already established earth. Okay, so he's definitely promoting the idea of restoration or recreation after a catastrophe. Subsequently, as Proverbs 8.31 states, God's wisdom rejoiced in the habitable part of his earth. And further, it is stated that wisdom's delights 
were specifically with the sons of men. That is the Adamic race. So the pre-Adamic race that lived on the earth, primarily the Atlanteans, maybe the Lemurians as well, all civilization ever created on this planet has been created by white people pre and uh, after catastrophes. We're the builder race, who always have been. The Jews are the destroyer people. They're not a race, the destroyer breed. Now the term habitable part of the earth is translated from a single Hebrew word, tebel, T-E-B-E-L. It is the earth that is moist, inhabited, the globe and its inhabitants, i.e. all the people on the earth. So the word tebel includes the planet and its inhabitants. So it's a multifarious term. It does not mean one or the other. It means both. Okay. And it gives several references here, several from Psalms and from Job, etc. And this is a quote from uh, Spiros Zodiades again. All of the people on the earth land the habitable part of the world. And again, quoting from Job 37.12, Psalm 92, gives uh, uh, copious, copious references here. So I highly encourage you to read this for yourself to get all of these verses down uh, to uh, see the argument that Zodiates and other uh, recreation advocates are talking about. In other words, you can't just rely on uh, Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. You have to rely also on commentaries contained in the rest of the Bible about Genesis 1 through 4. Okay? So let's continue. Obviously, the habitable part of the earth inhabited by the sons of men, men is Adam, in whom wisdom delighted, Proverbs 8.31, has to be the original earth or land of Genesis 1.1, it is not the restored dry land of Genesis 1.10, subsequent to Adam's fall when it was accursed, Genesis 3.16. Tabel is the same original Hebrew word which in Proverbs 8.26c, the third sentence of verse 26, is translated as the world. Now remember, Tabel includes the people inhabiting the world. Next, the phrase, the dust of the world, actually should have been translated as, you ready? The descendants of the earth, okay? So, dust. Just as the dust of Jacob in Numbers 23.10 means the descendants of Jacob. Now, again, the word tabel, since it includes the inhabitants of the earth, not just the earth, where Eretz, is a word that simply means dirt, land, area, territory, okay? It doesn't include the inhabitants of the dirt, land, territory, okay? Just as Numbers 23.10 means the descendants of Jacob. Contextually speaking, the clause, habitable part of his earth in verse 31a and dust of the world or descendants of the earth in verse 26c are synonymous. As such, these clauses refer to the sons of men of verse 31b, in whom God's wisdom is said to have taken delight. Okay? 
So Yahweh took delight in the sons of Adam, the children of Adam. The sons of men of Proverbs 8.31b necessarily have to be the men who inhabited the habitable part of the original primeval earth. Proverbs 8.31b confirmed that the sons of men in whom God's wisdom delighted were created much before the creation of Adam. Again, we're talking about pre-Adamites here. Accordingly, the sons of men of verse 31b are pre-Adamic human beings that originally lived on earth, Genesis 1.1, which fact is also confirmed by the fossils. Yes, in order to understand the Bible, you have to understand natural history because our people have been affected by natural history, by earthquakes, floods, storms, you, you name it. And if you don't know uh, what happened to the earth and the people thereon, you can't understand the Bible. You can't just preach the word and not know anything about history, especially the history of the Adamic race and the history of Jacob and Esau, especially. Right? If you don't know that history, you really don't know anything about the Bible. And that's, com- that's a commentary on mainstream churchianity. They don't know anything about the Bible. They just preach dogma because they refuse to consult historical the historical records of the Bible. Absolutely refuse to consult those. Let's continue. Okay, such a conclusion that there were pre-Adamic human beings on earth, such a conclusion will sound heretical to the traditional six-day creationists who do not believe in any kind of life as existing on earth prior to Genesis 1, verses 2 through 31. However, Proverbs 8, 22 to 31 does indicate that life on earth, including human life prior to Genesis 1, 2, did really exist. Moreover, it is nigh impossible that there could have been at any time since the fall of Adam any sons of men as a whole group in whom wisdom could be said to have taken delight, seeing that there ever being none that did good. Now, of course, Genesis 1, uh, 2-31 talks about the, the recreation being good and very good, but not perfect. And, of course, after the fall, it fell back into disarray. That disarray still obtains today. Continuing, undoubtedly the sons of men mentioned in Proverbs 8.31b must be pre-Adamic men after their own kind, in whom God's wisdom took delight for their being created and equipped with wisdom to begin with. And the pre-Adamic world, which is part of Genesis 1.1, the evidence of that world is everywhere, absolutely everywhere, highly advanced technical civilization that was destroyed by Phaeton. They're uncovering this pre-Adamic world all over the place. But of course, that's being covered up by the evolutionists and it's being covered up by the six-day creationists. They don't want their worldview disrupted by anything that happened before Genesis 1-2, okay? And of course, Genesis 1-2 and 3 uh, I should say verses 1, 2, and 3 talk about the recreation and the replenishment. Replenishment, not an original plenishment, okay? When you first open a store, you stock the shelves, 
after the store has been opened and you have to replace what's been sold, then you restock the shelves. Genesis 1 is a replenishment, not an original replenishment. Let's continue. Okay, so... These sons of men that inhabited the habitable part of the earth in whom God's wisdom rejoiced have been collectively called as the dust of the world in verse 26c, meaning the descendants of the earth, just as the Israelites who were the descendants of Jacob were called the dust of Jacob in Numbers 23.10. So, very good point here because this word dust is being used figuratively for descendants, which I was not aware of this figurative usage until reading this document. So thank you, Willie Martin, for bringing this up. Therefore, these pre-Adamic sons of men must have been created directly through, directly, though not after the likeness and image of God, but as moral beings after their kind. Well, uh, it all begs the question of when did Lucifer's fall occur? Uh, it's obvious from the archaeological and even the geological records because the evidence of past civilizations is contained in the geology as uh, as records of broken monuments, stone structures that have been destroyed, but uh, their, their pieces still exist. There's levels of geology in which no... No life exists, nothing but sand, <laughs> nothing but sand. And that means the catastrophes were so, and there are more than one. These catastrophes were so great that they wiped out virtually all life on planet Earth, and Yahweh had to start over. So hopefully this last one, Genesis 1 through uh, 2 through 27, or 31, is the last time he has to recreate. Although we're going to have a new heavens and a new earth, folks. That's what the book of Revelation says. We're going to have a new heavens and a new earth. So this coming to destruction of mystery Babylon and all of the evil in the world, that includes people, is going to be serious. It's going to be serious destruction, folks. So get ready. Let's continue. The pre-Adamic sons of men in whom God's wisdom delighted had to be like Lucifer, perfect. In a way, they could be considered as a type of the future Adamic sons of men whom God would create next after his image and likeness. Now, in my opinion, the original pre-Adamites were created in the same way, but virtually all of them were wiped out. And so Yahweh had to reseed, literally reseed planet Earth, with Adamites, and he obviously did so with Negroes, with Orientals, with Amerindians, etc., etc., all in their particular habitat, which after the recreation, they never left their habitat, but we, Adamites, did leave our habitat because we are explorers. Maybe we're too curious. <laughs> We should never have taken them out of their habitat and put them into our habitat. That's been the scourge of our world today, race mixing, okay? If we had left them where they were, we wouldn't be having all this trouble. But, of course, the 
the Cape Dutch uh, company who, uh, whose business was to procure goods from around the world and bring them back to Europe so they could get rich off the tea trade, gold and silver trade, you name it. Their ships uh, demanded that we sail around the world, and not that we wouldn't have done so anyway. Of course, the Spanish discovered the New World before the Jewish traders. But once the New World was discovered by the Spanish, then well, everything opened up, right? Uh, then uh, all hell broke loose, Pandora's box was open, and the Jewish traders were uh, really quick to take advantage of all of the potential commerce that that meant, okay? So let's continue. So let me start this sentence over again. In a way, they could be considered as a type of the future Adamic sons of men whom God would create next after his image and likeness. Yeah, well, he would just recreate the Adamic species with our physical characteristics. But then after the Luciferian fall, then uh, Yahweh had to do something special. And in Genesis 2.7, he breathed his breath of life into Adam and Eve so that they would be a potentially immortal species on the condition that they obey his laws, right? Adam and Eve were told not to touch that tree. And last night we talked about how tree can mean human beings. The word tree actually means, I think it's akal, if I remember correctly, is used just as frequently for human species as it is for wood and other species. So it's talking about our DNA, which was created uh, having its own seed within itself and to reproduce kind after kind. That's the definition of a species, folks. Genesis chapter 1 is talking about species. Genesis chapter 2 is talking about two members of that species, Adam and Eve, being given a, an upgrade, a DNA upgrade in order to uh, hold, possess, embody the Holy Spirit, but under certain conditions. Adam and Eve failed to meet those conditions. However, the great restoration and the second coming will ensure that all of that pre-fall Adamite existence is restored and we will get our glory bodies, which contain the Holy Spirit. I believe that the, the same condition will apply, namely that we must continue to obey Yahweh's laws or lose our immortality. However, this, this whole 6,000-year period that we have been living through is to breed a people, the remnant, the elect, who will understand that disobedience to Yahweh will cause another fall, and we will not allow that to happen ever again under, over or under my dead body. All right? I think that's what those of us in Christian identity understand, that we are not going to let this happen again. It's not worth it. The delights of Lucifer and disobedience to Yahweh's law, drug addiction, substance abuse, etc., etc., race mixing, they're not worth it. 
and we won't allow that to happen. And when he returns, he will rule the world with a rod of iron. Okay, that is his law, right? (laughs) So, uh, there's all kinds of fantastic fables out there about the pre-Adamic world, but I think Willie Martin is nailing it here. And those two videos I put about uh, up about the pre-Adamic world talk about as well, all right? So, uh, as I said, this is becoming a more and more popular idea, all right? Okay, so let's continue. So, this would be, of course, subsequent to the failure of the pre-Adamic men to live up to God's standards and remain holy or righteous, because the word holy only means dedicated. The people of Israel have been a dedicated people, and Yahweh has done a special thing with us, but we still were disobedient. We still are disobedient today. So the word holy uh, in, in the Hebrew does not necessarily mean righteous. It only means dedicated. Continuing. Obviously, the pre-Adamic sons of men had to be the subjects under Lucifer's dominion and rule on the primal earth. However, they eventually sinned once Lucifer sinned and fell. Could this conclusion be proved wrong? It can be proved from scriptures that Lucifer, along with some angels, was placed on the original earth for a definite purpose according to God's plan. It may be inferred that Lucifer was placed in an earlier Garden of Eden, Or maybe the whole earth was that Garden of Eden, especially created in the beginning on the original earth wherein was his throne and from whence he ruled. Lucifer and certain angels were definitely placed on the original earth of Genesis 1-1, and that for a specific purpose. Obviously, earlier to this, Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covereth, and his angels were in heaven where they served God. Yahweh, long before they were placed on the earth of Genesis 1.1. Okay, that sounds reasonable to me. Okay, oops, I lost my page. Let me go back to, okay, I lost my connection. (laughs) How did that happen? I was just trying. So let me me, uh, scroll up and uh, get the link from the uh, chat room here. I simply lost my connection to my other browser. And, uh, all right, no, I'm looking for the Willie Martin document, so I'm just going to have to get it from Skype. I thought I had put it in the chat room, maybe not, from uh, the link I sent to Michael. Sorry for the delay here. Okay, where is it? Here it is, pre-Adamic life on earth. All right, oh good, it opened up to the the page that I left instead of taking me to the very beginning. Outstanding, okay. It can be proved from scriptures that Lucifer, along with some angels, was placed on the original earth for a definite purpose according to Yahweh's plan. Let's continue with the next paragraph. Next, as the anointed cherub that covereth and whose covering was of precious stone, Lucifer, as succinctly stated by Charles A. Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S, quote, 
represented responsibility as standing before Yahweh to reflect what, what Yahweh as creator is. I suppose every item in the creation in some sense reflects God, but it is not all covered with precious stones. This great creature was, so that he represents some feature in the creation that was superlative. He stood out as representative of creation in the most exemplary way. The precious stones represent and reflect what is of the creator in the creature. Okay. Well, when I think of precious stones, I, I think of the umum and thummim, which radiate particular wavelengths. Okay. Pre, uh, as the same, the, the mist of the air of the sky radiates particular wavelengths as the sunlight passes through and creates a rainbow. Every stone has a particular, you know, uh, let's call it, uh, not stones, but uh, crystals. Crystals radiate particular wavelengths, and radio was discovered by the use of a certain type of crystal, which picks up the wavelengths that are radiating through the air and can be amplified by the radio transmitter, right? So I think these precious stones talk about how the various wavelengths coming directly from Yahweh, apparently through Lucifer, the anointed cherub that covereth, maintain the wavelength, the electromagnetic frequencies of the physical creation, Something like that. I'm just guessing at what, what this, but nevertheless, crystals perform this function, and probably umum and thummim perform that function as well. So let's continue. Lucifer and all the angels were created much before the creation of the physical universe. They had to be created before the creation of Genesis 1-1, and perhaps were created at the same time when Yahweh created the heaven of, the, of heavens, even the heaven of God's throne. Now, we're t- here we're talking about multiple dimensions, multiple dimensional reality, which physics agrees does exist. There are multiple dimensions. It's just we, we, our consciousness is able to penetrate these dimensions, but our physical world cannot. Our physical world is tied to this last physical dimension, okay, of, of gross stuff, right, dirt, and crystals, okay? Now, the crystals spoken of about the cherubs that cover were probably not physical crystals, but something like that, all right? The, uh, the rainbow simile that I gave earlier, probably something more, more close to that. So let's continue. So, well, well there's seven. You know, aren't, there, aren't there sevens? The universe is divided into layers of sevens. So each dimension has seven layers that's why we have seven colors in the rainbow. Everything is divided into seven. So there's at least seven dimensions that we know of, and there may be more. There may be dimensions within dimensions, but that's getting off into metaphysics. So let's continue. Okay. So let me start this over again. Lucifer and all the angels were created much before the creation of the physical universe. I, I get that. They had to be created before the creation of Genesis 1-1 and perhaps were created at the same time when Yahweh created the heaven of heavens, even the heaven of God's throne. All right, so he's not quoting 
the verses there, the heaven of God's throne, if that's uh, an actual verse of scripture, I'm not familiar with it. Could this be just, now if that's in Proverbs and um, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, those books talk about this primordial world and not so much the rest of the Bible. Uh, Could this be just 6,000 years back? Certainly not, for God who inhabits eternity has been in existence from eternity to eternity and had to have the heaven of his throne from eternity to eternity. Accordingly, the myriads of angels and the heavenly host had to be created in the dateless past, serving Yahweh from eternity to eternity, and not just from some 6,000 years back. Okay, well said. I agree with how he has uh, expressed this. Lucifer's erstwhile rule on earth, even as now, is best depicted through earthly rulers. For example, the kingdom of Pharaoh in Egypt is compared to a cedar tree whose flourishing growth portrayed Pharaoh's worldwide influence that made him to boast. Now, from my reading of the history of Egypt and also the history of Sumeria, both Egypt and Sumeria suddenly appeared in full technological array without any pre-existing fossils or record. That means they were probably survivors of this great catastrophe and brought their technology with them. Okay? The, the great monuments of Egypt, the Im- immense construction that went on in G- Egypt, that was already there, <laughs> okay? Maybe that part of what is today called Egypt, or then called Egypt, was a holdover from Atlantis, and the technology survived there. That's certainly a possibility. Certainly some people survived there, because both those civilizations, Sumeria and Egypt, suddenly appeared with no apparent archaeological underpinning, okay? They just appeared seemingly out of nowhere. Well, they were probably survivors of Atlantis. Maybe they were floating around on some primordial ark, (laughs) and they landed in Egypt, and maybe some of them landed in Sumeria. That's certainly a possibility. Let's continue. Plus, we have the, the cave drawings, in Europe, uh, in South America, we have uh, you know, evidence, that, and even in South America, there's evidence of agriculture way above the clouds, which also potentially survived this great catastrophe. But let's continue. All right, so Lucifer's erstwhile rule on the earth, even as now, is best depicted through the earthly rulers. Now he's bringing up Egypt. So that, that the same flourishing cedar tree that symbolically represented Pharaoh's rule could be con- confidently stated according to the law of double reference to figuratively best describe Lucifer's primeval rule on earth, Ezekiel 31, 8 through 18. I think that is not a reference to Egypt, but a reference to Assyria, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe somebody can look that up for me. 
is that a reference to Egypt or a reference to you know something else uh, like Assyria? But uh, the reference to Assyria is that that cedar tree, that that genome, that DNA was in existence in the garden. Okay, so that's more proof that there were other people besides just Adam and Eve in the garden when he was placed into it from elsewhere. There's three verses in Scripture that firmly declare that Adam and Eve were living somewhere outside of the garden and placed into it. So they were representative examples of the pre-Adamic species. Then he gets into his rebellion and consequences. It is a biblical fact that Yahweh, who inhabits eternity, created first the angelic hosts in the eternity past to serve him, Revelation 5, 11 through 13. As such, the angels had to be already in existence before any physical creation. And as I expressed yesterday, that is absolutely the case because the Ben Elohim were the blueprint of the various, well, the, the Ben Elohim were the blueprint of the Adamic species. And every species had to have a blueprint before being formed in the physical world. So their blueprint, their spiritual, non-physical blueprint had to be created first. And then eventually their physical form was created with the so-called dust of the earth, the atoms and molecules that exist on this planet, okay? Next, Lucifer and some angels were placed on the primeval earth after its creation, 2 Peter 2.4, Jude 6, before the creation of Adam. Therefore, the period beginning with the original creation of the heavens and the earth until the cataclysmic change in Genesis 1-2 may be called the anti-chaotic age, or previously, anti meaning before, anti-chaotic age, the dispensation of angels and pre-Adamic men. Okay, so he's quoting here, but he doesn't give the reference from the quotation. The primeval earth, when originally created, was substantially a dry land spreading forth above the waters. Oh, okay, well, this could be a reference to Pangea. Pangea, the, uh, what do you call it, the... um, the geologists have concluded that Pangaea was one great continent, one great continent, and uh, subsequently broken apart into the continents we have today. So, again, this would fit in with what uh, Willie Martin is trying to tell us here. Uh, So, let's continue. And not that the waters were stretched all over. Now, it's possible that uh, rain came later upon the earth, but without, without water, we can hardly see life existing on earth. They at least had to have a mist, right? Okay, or as attested by Second Peter 3, 5, quote, By the word of God, the heavens that were of old... And the earth standing out of the water and in the water when first created. As such, in the beginning, Genesis 1.1 itself, the earth has had a dry land standing out of the waters that was obviously suitable for the habitation of life. 
The command to let the dry land appear in Genesis 1-9 proves that the original dry land had eventually submerged. Okay? That's also possible. Undoubtedly, the dry land of the primeval earth was surely inhabited, Proverbs 8.31a, by plants and animals. There had to be a pre-Adamic perfect sons of men also dwelling on earth in which the wisdom of God took delight, Proverbs 8.31b. As otherwise, since the fall of Adam, there could never be at any time sinless and perfect Adamic sons of men in whom collectively God's wisdom could be said to have taken delight. Of course, God took delight in those few he chose to be the objects of his delight. So, whether or not that pre-Adamic earth was perfect or not, I'm not willing to say that it was perfect, but certainly uh, better than this present age, right? Next, but before Lucifer fell, put it that way. Before Lucifer fell. Next, scriptures clearly state that Lucifer at one time ruled on earth, Ezekiel 28:11 through 17, Isaiah 14:12 through 7. So, sorry, 12 through 17. Obviously, those angels placed on earth had to be his subjects along with the pre-Adamic sons of men. Lucifer, as one of the three cherubs, was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28.12b. Next, as an angelic being with a free will, he was perfect from the day he was created. Ezekiel 28.15a. And that cannot be said of Assyria or Tyre. They were not perfect when they were created. That's a double metaphor. A lot of people want to deny that those verses are about Lucifer, an angelic being. They don't want to believe in angelic beings. As the anointed cherub, he covered, that is, he covered the earth. And probably a lot more. Ezekiel 28.14 God's throne, he covered God's throne in the heavens prior to his assignment on earth. Okay, so, as the book of Adam and Eve expresses that Lucifer was upset with Yahweh's plan to establish Adam and Eve as the dominion of planet Earth. He didn't want to give that up. So, jealousy? Jealousy was found in him. It says iniquity was found in him. But that could have been preceded by jealousy. Continuing... Lucifer, when on earth, has been in Eden, the garden of God. And that can't be said of the king of Tyre or Assyria, or, but the, uh, the people, the tree that created the Assyrians, from which Assyria sprung, which was the Adamic tree, was in the garden. And that's Ezekiel 28.13a. He had also his throne on earth from where he ruled. In fact, the eventual greatness and sudden downfall of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, which, as described in Ezekiel 31, is compared to the greatness and fall of a flourishing cedar of Lebanon. The same symbolism could also be said to have portrayed Lucifer's rule figuratively depicting his sinful pride and consequent downfall through rebellion. Lucifer's pomp and glory is portrayed by the symbolism of a flourishing cedar of Lebanon. So, okay, so folks, 
the pre-Adamic world, whether it was physical or not, the, the heavens had to exist first. And the prototype, the blueprint of the physical beings on the earth had to have existed in this non-physical dimension to take shape as Yahweh decided when he, he created, whether it's Genesis 1, verses 2 through 31, or at a previous time. That blueprint, those non-physical beings had to have existed in the non-physical world as the, uh, you know, as any architect or anybody who creates something new tell you, you have to have an image of it first, right? An image, a non-physical image of it that uh, in your mind, it's eventually transferred to paper as a blueprint, and then it becomes a physical reality with bricks and mortar, stone, uh, you know, wood, nails, etc. Technically, the Garden of Eden in Eden, or, or sorry, the Garden of God in Eden, mentioned in Ezekiel 28:13a, 31:8-9, and 16:18 isn't the same as the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2:8-15. Okay, that's interesting. I'll have to explore that uh, in greater detail later. The Garden of Genesis 2, 8-15, in which Adam was placed, is not the same as the one mentioned in Ezekiel 28:13a or 31, 8-18, as is wrongly assumed. The Garden of Genesis 2.8 is actually that garden which God next created after the destruction of the Garden of Eden in Ezekiel 31. Okay, so he would have had to create two Gardens of Eden under the pre-Adamic Genesis 1.1 scenario is what Willie Martin is trying to say, okay? This is, now he does say that this is speculation. This is simply speculated from the fact that the Garden of Genesis 2.8 is said to be planted eastward of a particular place already then geographically known as Eden, Genesis 2.8. As such, it had to be a specific location somewhere eastward in some original familiar place called Eden, wherein also earlier was the original Garden of God mentioned in Ezekiel 28. 13a and 31.8. Okay, so I'm going to have to look at those ver- verses very carefully to see. Yeah, obviously he said this is speculation. <laughs> um, to me, the I don't think the Genesis 2.8 refers back to a, a previous time. I think oh, the only the there are other verses later on Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and as he mentioned Second Peter. And, and Jude that refer to a previous time. So right now we're only concerned with this existence and this existence and the horrible things we're having to endure before the judgment day. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 describes the fall of Lucifer. This fall had to be when he was in the Garden of Eden, Ezekiel 28:13a, and not in the Garden of Eden of Genesis 2, 8. Okay, I don't think you need to postulate two gardens of Eden. I think the earth, where, where, wherever Lucifer ruled from in uh, Genesis, the Genesis 1-1 scenario, 
doesn't need to be called the Garden of Eden, but maybe he's correct. I would have to really read that carefully to see if he's correct about that. So, and not the Garden of Eden of Genesis 2.8, sometime after day 7 of the creation week, as is wrongly assumed. Precisely as stated earlier, quote, Jesus' use of verse 12, Jesus' use, Yahshua's use of verse 12, Isaiah 14, to describe Satan's fall, Luke 10.18 and Revelation 12.8-10, has led many to see more than a reference to the king of Babylon. Of course, it's a double metaphor. Just as the Lord addressed Satan in his words to the serpent, Genesis 3.14.15, this inspired dirge speaks to the king of Babylon and to the devil who energized him. There you go. That's an excellent way of putting it. See Ezekiel 28.12-17 for similar language to the king of Tyre and Satan behind him. Yes, it's a double metaphor. And the specifics of those double metaphors suggest that that the king of Tyre uh, and the king of, of, of Babylon were, were gods, okay? Well, they weren't in this life gods. However, they're being compared to a, god, a godlike being, namely Satan and or Lucifer. Okay, let's continue. Obviously, in the Adamic garden that was planted eastward of the original place, Eden, Satan was there as a subtle serpent. He was not there as Lucifer, unlike in the earlier Garden of Eden of Ezekiel 28.13a, 31.8, from where he ruled and whose rule is compared to that of a flourishing cedar of Lebanon, Ezekiel 31.2, verses 8-18. It was in the Garden of God of Ezekiel 28.13a that Lucifer eventually sinned and not when he was in the Garden of Eden of Genesis 3.1-15 as wrongly assumed by some. Okay, I can see that. Some heavenly garden, I would more, you know, I'd be more inclined to regard it as a heavenly Garden of Eden. Maybe the, maybe the blueprint in the, uh, in the uh, netherworld the etheric world that eventually was settled down here on earth. And then this, maybe Lucifer didn't like being demoted <laughs> to ruling over the earth, but uh, I, my view is that the entire universe will be ruled for, here from earth when the city four square descends upon us and to be ruled by Yahshua. Okay, so why he would consider that a demotion, I'm not sure. But I think the demotion would be Lucifer having to be subjected to Adam and Eve as divine beings, potentially divine beings, once we get our glory bodies. Now, Adam and Eve did have that glory body, but they were unable to keep it, thanks to Lucifer's agent Nahash in the garden. Okay, so what the Book of Enoch tells us that Eve was seduced by Gadriel, the fallen angel Gadriel, one of Lucifer's compatriots or allies. So whether or not Lucifer himself was embodied or is still disembodied, I think he is still disembodied. If he, uh, 
actually fell, then he's being held underneath the earth in some gigantic cavern, even under the ocean, uh, the shades of Isaiah. Okay, so the those angelic beings that were part of the original creation were not destroyed then, they were simply imprisoned then. However, certainly Gadrel, in the form of Nahash, in my opinion, seduced Eve. Okay? He was able to take physical form, the form of more than likely a white male, and nothing besides a white that That had to happen in order for Eve to be deceived. That's my uh, you know, view of the situation. Okay? So, uh, hold on, I have to... I have to refresh my page here with your folk radio. Give me one second to do that. Okay, because uh, apparently when I lost connection, it uh, it gave me the uh, the old copy. Yes, okay. So, envy. Yes, envy. <laughs> uh, yes. Oh, and, and Lily says they were perfect in the sense that they were pure and not mixed. Maybe not. But because Yahweh gave free will to all of these angelic beings and to us as well. Michael and Gabriel and others did not rebel, but Lucifer and his underlings did. And that's even ensconced in the, uh, the, the constellations of the sky because the constellation, uh, I forget what it's called, the serpent, the constellation called the serpent, uh, maybe somebody knows the exact name of that constellation, uh, it takes up one-third of the sky, okay, symbolizing the fall of one-third of the angels. Now, that's a pretty serious rebellion. One-third of the angels rebelled and had to fall, but some of them still exist in uh, spiritual form, angelic form, etc., okay? And Swamp Fox says, yes, the first Earth Age before the rebellion. Yes. Okay. So, and that's what uh, Willie Martin is trying to say, is that that rebellion occurred during the first or the previous Earth Age before Genesis 1-2. Okay. And Swamp Fox says, one needs to ask, just what is it that I want to be resurrected back to (laughs) or restored back to? Uh, the, the Bible speaks of the great restoration or the restoration. It doesn't use the word great. It uses the word restoration, which, in my opinion, would refer to our planet will be restored to the situation that obtained before Adam and Eve fell. Okay. And because Genesis 1 says it was good and it was very good. It doesn't say it was perfect. It only says it was very good. However, in the new heavens and the new earth, when Yahshua rules with a rod of iron, it will be nearly perfect. It doesn't say it's going to be perfect. It only says that Yahshua will rule with a rod of iron through his agents, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 144,000. Okay? That's how I see it. All right? Just extrapolating from all these events that we have lived through so far. And it's amazing we have lived through all this stuff. Anyway, so, 
as to when exactly Lucifer sinned is not specifically mentioned in the Bible, but it may be inferred from relevant scriptures that sin came into existence within the period between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. It could even be before, because as he said, Lucifer's rebellion, the, the exact time of that happening is not specified, and the geological record says that uh, our planet has uh, experienced multiple major catastrophes, at least three or four, but we're only concerned with the previous one. Now, now Lucifer probably fell during that previous age. Uh, that is probably the case, because there's evidence from India that there was nuclear war. There were Vimana aircraft. There was uh, war between maybe even in the, a multidimensional war, which is quite likely as well. Anyway, there's evidence of nuclear war in India before historical times. There's still radioactivity in many places in India where this war probably took place. The, the uh, Mahabharata describes that war. And that's something you know we in the West really need to look into more carefully, but we don't have much time left, so... <laughs> We'll just have to speculate on that point. But the, uh, the philosophers of India insist that there was a highly advanced civilization which was destroyed by warfare, which would have included, in all probability, Atlantis as well. So let's continue. It's only during this undefined period of all the related scriptures discussed earlier could be said to fit in. Quote, the story of the beginning of sin is nowhere related explicitly in the word, but certain passages seem to hint so strongly that the following theory has long been held to explain them. Apparently, and this is a quotation, uh, apparently God first peopled the universe, or at least our part of it, with a hierarchy of holy angels, of whom one of the highest orders was or contained the cherubim. One of them, perhaps the highest of all, was the anointed cherub that covereth, who was created beautiful and perfect in his ways. The, yeah, before sin entered his mind, right? Before rebellion entered his mind. This cherub knew that he was beautiful, but pride entered his, entered his heart, and the first sin in the whole history of eternity occurred. Yes, and I believe that sin occurred in heaven, in the heavens, not here on earth. That's why he, was, he had to fall from the heavens. And of course, the name given to him was Lucifer, which mean, all it means is uh, light being, being of light. That's all that means. But again, the Freemasons say they teach the light too, right? The, the light of Lucifer. This cherub knew that he was beautiful, but pride entered in his heart, and the first sin in the whole history of eternity occurred. Pride led to self-will, Isaiah 14, verses 13 to 14, and self-will to rebellion. This great cherub became the adversary, that is, Satan of God. That's what the word Satan means. It simply means adversary. But he's the top adversary, became the adversary of Yahweh, and apparently led other angels into rebellion. See 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6. Contrary to what is stated above, Henry Morris states, quote, Satan's sin and fall, however, was in heaven on the holy mountain of God, not on earth. 
There is, in fact, not a word in Scripture to connect Satan with the earth prior to his rebellion. On the other hand, when he sinned, he was expelled from heaven to the earth. The account in Ezekiel says, quote, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. Now, created here would mean simply the spiritual, heavenly, non-physical creation that we call earth. Yeah, these angels, these angelic beings were created before the earth was created. Even we, Israelites, were created before the physical earth was created, and we were held in abeyance for this eventuality to manifest on this planet. Okay? Uh, the Bible clearly says that, uh, that we were formed in heaven and uh, had to incarnate. Let's continue. And, uh, and we were created, uh, our spiritual, our individuality, put it that way, ourselves, our consciousness of our own being as individuals was created before we incarnated. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee. Here, mountain is symbolic of Yahweh's throne, his non-physical throne. O covering cherub, <laughs> I will repeat this. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, and that cannot possibly be a reference to Tyre or Babylon. They were only kings of their respective dominions. And king of Tyre did not even have an army with which to destroy other kingdoms. Babylon did for a while. Tyre was only a commercial enterprise. They had a lot of ships, but they did not have an army or a navy. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Gee, has that happened to anybody here on this planet? Vanity, right? Oh, I'm so beautiful, I love myself and hate everybody else. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So, vanity was the first sin. And that first sin was done, performed by Lucifer. I will cast thee to the ground or earth, the same word in Hebrew and that's Ezekiel 28:15 through 17. Nevertheless, Isaiah 14:13 through 14 definitely states that Lucifer was on earth when he first entertained the prideful thoughts of conquering God's throne. Okay, well, um, maybe he was ruling here while before he rebelled. That's possible, but. Was he a multidimensional being, or was he limited to be existing here exclusively on the earth? You know, that's another question, because there, there are multidimensional beings who come and go from one dimension to another. Okay, maybe we have to consider that possibility. When he first entertained the prideful thoughts of conquering God's throne... He was very much on earth from where wanting to be like the Most High. He ascended into the heavens, but was cast down to the earth. Now, both, now maybe Isaiah and Ezekiel are referring to two different periods of time. Maybe Ezekiel is referring to Lucifer in heaven, and Isaiah referring to Lucifer on earth. Okay, maybe Lucifer didn't like being 
being relegated to this particular, maybe this is a, the second chance theory that I have expressed previously, that, okay, Lucifer, I'm casting you out of heaven to this earth. I'm giving you a second chance. See if you can manage earth properly because you weren't able to manage the heavens properly. So let's, let's give you a second chance. And he failed both times. Let's continue. No wonder Lucifer next turned into Satan was... Hold, hold on. Lucifer next turned into Satan was already on the earth in the guise of a serpent or Nachash, which is a radi- still a ra- somewhat radiant being because the word serpent also means to shine like brass before the creation of Adam and Eve. Okay, that's very possible that Lucifer was here on the planet. Okay. Lucifer rebelled against God when he was on the earth, thereby incurring judgment resulting in chaos on earth, surrounded by darkness as in Genesis 1-2. Traditional six-day creationists somehow overlooked the scriptures relating to Lucifer's rule and his subsequent rebellion on earth that brought chaos on earth and subjected the entire universe to futility or uselessness. Well, I'm not sure if the rebellion here on earth subjected the entire universe to this futility and uselessness, but the infection is de- definitely here on earth, okay? And that infection is today called Judaism. Since God created a perfect universe to begin with, the chaos on earth spoken of in Genesis 1-2 cannot be of creation, but of judgment. And since the scriptures speak of Lucifer's rule on earth and of his subsequent rebellion long, long before the creation of Adam, then the chaotic conditions on earth had to be logically of a later occurrence as a consequence of Lucifer's sin and that of the angels under his administration on earth. Now, it's also possible that our solar system has been affected by this fall because we used to have a planet called Marduk that is now the asteroid belt. Mars used to have water. What happened to that water? Okay, that asteroid belt is huge. There must have been a very large planet. And uh, the the Bible says Marduk is broken in pieces. (laughs) Okay, so and Dr. Wesley Swift agrees with with that proposition that uh, first Lucifer was sent down to this planet Marduk, which he mishandled, and then possibly Mars, which also was not totally destroyed, but now is virtually lifeless. And now he's trying to do the same thing to planet Earth. That's Dr. Wesley Swift's reading of the uh, records, which are based on some unknown documents that he doesn't reference. Anyway, whether young Earth creationists agree with it or not, the six-day work and the creation of Adam were occasioned by Lucifer's fall. Lucifer's sin and its consequences were foreseen, and accordingly, the six-day plan was conceived. Okay, very good. I'd say that's very reasonable. As such, it is the world of the angels, animals, plants, and sons of men who once inhabited the earth is what Peter actually talks about as the world that was then. It is in this world that Lucifer and his subjects sinned. 
This sinful world next was next destroyed by flood, Psalms 104.69, read with Job 38.10-11. The flood referred to here is certainly not Noah's flood. And Noah's flood did not cover the whole earth. The original dry earth to begin with was created to be inhabited, Isaiah 45.18. It was not tohu abohu or void without form. That came later. And was therefore certainly inhabited before the flood of Genesis 1-2 and the work of the six days culminating with Adam's creation, Genesis 1-3-2-25. Isaiah 14-12-14, etc. The earth, therefore, was originally created with a dry land and was not totally flooded by waters nor covered up with darkness as in Genesis 1-2, which is a later condition okay and as i said earlier it is a recreation and the earth had to be restocked or replenished not plenished that happened earlier as such on the original earth itself that god created in the beginning there was a dry land the habitable part of the earth proverbs 831 at one place which i think is a reference to pangea and the deep or the depths of the sea located in some other place when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment. So if, and it seems to be, it's an accepted proposition in geology now that all of the current continents were at one time one continent called Pangaea. And Atlantis was a part of that Pangaea. It broke off. And, of course, Antarctica was part of that Pangaea as well. South America, Africa, and Antarctica fit together nicely as a jigsaw puzzle. However, Atlantis sank. So we have the Atlantic Ocean now in its place. That is the previous world, folks. That is the previous world. So let's continue. Uh, let me start this over. We have about 10 minutes left. I got off on Pangea here. I see. Which was, yeah, Genesis 1-2, which is a later con- condition. As such, on the original earth itself that God created in the beginning, there was dry land. I'm speculating that it was Pangea. I think it's very probable that it was. The habitable part of the earth, Proverbs 8:31, at one place, namely Pangea and the deep or the depths of the sea located in some other place all around Pangaea. So there was only one continent at that time surrounded by a great ocean when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth, and that's Proverbs 8.29, in the beginning of his way. It is from where the waters did break the original bounds to cover the earth. Well, when Atlantis sank, split apart South America, split apart into the Americas, Europe, Asia, Africa, and Antarctica. That's when that split took place. And the proof of that is the fact that the the mountain ranges in Asia, the Rockies, South America, I forget what those, uh, you know, the mountains of Peru, stretching all the way from northern 
South America to the southern tip of South America, those are very young mountains. They're very craggy, sharp, and they're very high. Some horrible catastrophe formed all these mountain ranges where other mountain ranges on the planet, such as the um, mountains of eastern uh, North America, are not nearly as high, not nearly as craggy, and uh, you know are, are covered with vegetation. You know, those mountains are so high, there's no vegetation up there. There's snow-covered peaks. There's, very, there's no snow-covered peaks in the Ozark, which uh, geologists say is one of the most oldest and st- stablest areas on the planet. Okay? But the Himalayas, were, and you can see how they projected up. I mean, the geology proves that they were violently thrust upward by some violent catastrophe, some major catastrophe. And you can see that the the earth, the the horizontal layers were uh, thrust up at an angle. And you know, all these newer mountain ranges talk you know, show that. They all show that, that they were violently thrust upward and uh, uh, probably all at the same time, okay? And it wasn't gradual, as the geologists want to want to claim. It wasn't gradual. It was immediate. It was violent. So let's continue. Undoubtedly, conditions on Earth in Genesis 1-2 were not the same as that of the original creation, but were as such as a result or consequence of sin. Yeah, Lucifer's sin. And uh, we talked about the uh, violent wars, uh, talked about in the Mahabharata. That, that created were obtained before Genesis 1 2. Okay, and uh, the dry habitable part of the earth, Proverbs 8 31, at one place, and the deep or the depths of the sea located in some other place. Again, I think Pangaea and the surrounding ocean fits that. When he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth. So that's talking about the previous earth age, Proverbs 8.29. In the beginning of his way, undoubtedly the conditions on the earth in Genesis 1-2 were not the same as that of the original creation, but were as such as a result of a consequence of sin. The word cosmos in 2 Peter 3.5-7, meaning some form of social system, A social order is correct. The word cosmos in the Greek is a reference to a social order, not just a physical place. All right, we scientists use that word to describe the physical universe, but cosmos in the Greek is a social system, a uh, society actually, not just, uh, well, social system, society that then was and was then destroyed, embraces the whole pre-Adamic earth to which all fossils and remains belong. The actual findings of science regarding the prehistoric animals and mammals, the age of the earth, its rock formation and other facts can be recognized only if we believe the Bible's revelation of pre-Adamic life. Yeah, the dinosaurs... Especially the huge dinosaurs like Tyrannosaurus rex, Brontosaurus, etc., became extinct at that time. There was a second extinction event 
caused by Noah's flood in various parts of the earth, but that uh, the mastodons, the saber-toothed tiger, various other species, those became extinct during Noah's flood, and they were, and those are actually depicted on various monuments in Peru, to Gobekli Tepe, and various other places around the earth. Okay, but uh, the fossil record of these gigantic animals preceded Genesis one two. All right, with about five minutes left. These fossils were not of some simpler forms of life evolving gradually into complex forms. It is a known fact that many fossils come from a great catastrophe being entombed in the strata instead of being slowly buried by sedimentation over millions of years, as is falsely assumed by the evolutionists. Yeah, the evidence of catastrophism is all over the geological record but they don't want to admit it because that destroys their evolutionary theory. Anyway, we find proof of two universal floods on the earth, one in Lucifer's day, Genesis 1-2. I've referred to that as more of a tidal wave rather than a flood. Genesis 1-2, Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, etc. And another in Noah's time, Genesis 6, 11, 8, 14, etc. These two, well, the, the rain was universal in the Noah's flood, but the, it did not cover the whole earth. He uses the word two universal floods. Are uniquely different from each other. Yes, they are. The first one was more of a tidal wave. The second one was more of a local flood, but a universal deluge. It rained all over the earth, but the, not, the entire earth was not you know, flooded. The world or cosmos, as in Greek, meaning inhabited living systems, of which Peter speaks about in 2 Peter 3.6, is not the same one that was deluged during Noah's flood. During Noah's flood, the world that began with Adam was not totally destroyed, in that Noah and his family, along with animals, birds, etc., were kept alive in all species. The, I don't see any extinction took place during Noah's flood maybe one or two species that were local to the area, you know, north north of uh, Turkey or around Turkey, where I believe the flood was most potent, okay? Some of those may have become extinct, but there was no extinction uh, during Noah's flood. No major extinction occurred during Noah's flood. All those species survived, especially the fish. Why would the fish go extinct? If it was just rainfall, the fish didn't go extinct, no, nor did the sea animals, you know, like the porpoises and whales. But uh, at the previous age, the, those gigantosaurus-type animals did become extinct during after the previous age. And the, the great the Pangaea event, I'm sorry, the uh, Phaeton event described by Plato took place, which sank Atlantis and just virtually destroyed the whole whole planet, okay? So, which means during creation week, God caused the dry land to appear again by shifting the waters to form the seas. Okay, so they were shifted. The breaking up of Pangaea into multiple continents is not out of the question here. Only in this context can we interpret and understand Job 38.8, wherein God asked Job, quote, Who shut in the sea with doors 
when it burst forth as if it had issued out of the womb. This was not the case at all as such during Noah's flood. Okay, well, there was, there's one issue of floodwaters from under the earth due to an earthquake, but that was local to the area of Turkey and not planetary. Okay, but this does, in my opinion, fit the Pangea scenario. And there's even evidence of that breakup still in the earth today, the dividing of the great rift of the Atlantic Ocean floor is still is still separating even today. That's an aftermath of this great rift that occurred here, and there are extant maps of Antarctica showing it as a flourishing tropical paradise before it was shifted south, okay, to to you know, that frozen climate that exists in today, all right? So, folks, we have a lot to learn about prehistory, and this episode of talking about that prehistory, okay? And so there's several questions in uh, the chat room here. Uh, first age before the rebellion, yes, there was a first age, absolutely. Do we know if there are craters on the dark side of the moon? I believe there are because uh, there are supposedly impact craters and a meteor can come from any angle on the moon, okay? So um, are they just as numerous? Hard to say, right? We don't see that side of the moon. (laughs) Yes, the Andes Mountains Range in South America. Thank you, Bavaria man. Got all that in. Folks, thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.